our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Hi team, Sonia here today with a very exciting episode ahead indeed. It is both an honor and privilege to introduce you to Sonia Williams, one of the six co-founders and current co-CEOs of Sharesies New Zealand. How are you going today, Sonia? Yeah, good. Really good. <laughs> Excited to be having an interview with someone else called Sonia. <laughs> it's the same spelling as well, which is quite rare. Very <laughs> Jeff. Maybe just give us a little bit of intro about you and who you are. Yeah, cool. It always feels like a big question, <laughs> but I won't overthink it. So yeah, I'm Sonia. I'm one of the co-founders of Sharesies. There was actually six of us that founded the company back in 2016, at the end of 2016. Mm. And what I get up to now is I'm one of the co-CEOs. So there are three CEOs at Sharesies, which largely means that we just make sure that we're working on the right things, that we're growing the team, and that we've got a really clear direction to where we're going. I'm living in Wellington now, but originally from Levin, and have my background is kind of in technology and how technology and can be used to solve really big grunty problems. And, you know, this is why Sharesies is so, you know, dear to my heart. <laughs> I guess to start at the beginning... How did you even start your investing journey? Yeah, so my investing journey, you know, when I think about investing, I do take a pretty broad lens to that and see my biggest investment was probably in my career. Like that's what it would have been for me early on. And that was about going, what do I want to be working on? What type of job do I want? And then really kind of finding pockets to build up those skills. So I definitely see early on in my career, I prioritized, I guess, almost thought of it like an apprenticeship after I left uni where I didn't really chase the money, but chased the skills that I thought I would need. And that led me down some really interesting paths. I got to work in a web design company. I got to work at Zero quite early on. And, you know, I think all of that led me here, you know, to starting Sharesies. And I guess then I probably thought from that point, more traditional kind of investment, like home ownership, right through, I then earned shares through working in startups. So my first in, like share investment was actually an earned one. And uh, then right through to placing my first investment, which was actually on Shares Eve. It's so amazing. I think it's so cool how you said that you think of investing in kind of a broader perspective. How did you kind of get into that mindset of, you know, chasing a skill set rather than maybe like a job position or like a career position? Because I think that's 
quite a rare mindset to actually be in. Yeah, gosh, I get into that. I think I really just a bit lost, to be honest. Like when I was at high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I really wanted to have my own business. And I was super curious and, and just liked kind of working on stuff that was interesting. And so I tended to follow the interesting work or the interesting problems. I didn't really see myself as there being a clear title for what I wanted to do as a job. You know, I think when you're at high school and stuff, you're kind of forced into going, well, do you want, you know, some jobs have titles like lawyer and accountant and doctor, but we know that there's heaps of other jobs that exist. And, and really, like, even if you study law and are a lawyer, there's lots more to being a lawyer than, you know, just the legal part of it or, or just the law part. So I think coming from a small town, maybe I just hadn't found my label yet <laughs> and was probably just trying to find it. And I, I don't think I ever really found my label. And, and maybe that's the, <laughs> the that's the thing is like, do you definitely feel like, you know, you, your job is, it's what you bring to it. It's very rarely the title or the identity that, that is in the role explicitly, but it's more like what you bring to it and, and the skills there. So yeah, technology was this piece where maybe it was because I hadn't been exposed to it when I was younger, other than, you know, chatting on MSN Messenger with my friends and stuff like that. I definitely wasn't one of those technology people that you'd say, oh yeah, she'll definitely end up in technology. <laughs> but so I think it was a bit of a surprise to me, but I think definitely came through seeing the power of how it can be used to really democratize, give access, increase the experience that people are getting. And I think once you know that, it's kind of like the world's your oyster. And I think especially like working at Zero quite early on, like seeing how you can actually build a pretty epic company from New Zealand, you know, that just changes your ambition. I think once you kind of can see that it's been done before you're like well this is actually really possible would you credit anyone along the way in terms of giving you inspiration or have you kind of always been that motivated person in terms of your vision and I guess your idea of chasing those skill set you're really a product of the people that you hang around with and yeah credit everyone really that I've come across because I think that people do they have such a big impact to your life I remember someone saying like if you don't like something about you know, your life is a reflection of the five people you hang out with the most. And it's like, if you don't kind of like something, change those five people and all of a sudden your perspective changes and, and things like that. And I think there's some real truth to that. And, you know, it starts with, yeah, I, I don't want to get, kind of get into naming people, but, you know, teachers have a huge impact when you find the right teacher that really sees you and sees your potential and helps encourage that out of you is really special. Parents were really kind of resourceful. I would use that word. And my dad was self-employed and I got to see my mum build her career. She started building her career when I, like, after I was born. And so I got to really see that and see that growth journey, which was hugely inspiring because it kind of taught you it's, it's not necessarily what you know, it's how you gain or like how you gain knowledge or gain skills. It's like never a fixed thing. So you can always kind of, there's always something to be learned <laughs> or there's always a way forward. And then obviously now, you know, had so much support and starting Shearsies and get to work with amazing people from the co-founding team to, you know, the Shearsies team now that we're growing. Yeah, but you get inspired on a daily basis by the people that you surround yourself with. Yeah, totally. So much um, passion, you know, that's one thing, like I think there is a lot of passion out there to solve this problem. And I think I feel lucky that I get to work with so many passionate people, that's for sure. Your first stock market investment, because I know that was kind of given to you at one of your previous jobs. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, so that was through like, and it's quite typical in, in startups and, and software companies where as part of your pay package, you 
earned shares in the company. So it's called an employee share option scheme or ESOP. For short, if you like a bit of acronym jargon. And, you know, I didn't really understand what it was, to be honest, but it really, you so it was at zero and a percentage of your package is, is in shares. So they take a certain amount and then they invest in that in shares on your behalf. And so the first investment there, yeah, that was owning shares in zero. Do you remember the first stock market, I guess, investment that you, that you chose? Yeah, the first one was, so it was on shares and it would have been after we first launched. So you know, I guess I haven't probably talked about that, but shares is, you know, we created that to create a financially empowered generation. And it was about this idea of giving someone with $5 and $5 million the same investment opportunity. So the first product that we launched, I think, had six exchange traded funds on it. And if, before we started shares, I probably wouldn't have known what an exchange traded fund was. <laughs> so that was a bit of a learning journey, which, you know, they're actually really cool. But it's a group of investments. So instead of investing in one thing and in one company, you invest in a range of companies or a basket of companies that gets traded on an exchange. So it kind of works like a like a share. So this, you know, we had six when we started and I think I invested in, say it was like the New Zealand top 50, which is the top 50 companies in New Zealand, Australia top 20, which is the top 20 companies in Australia. I think we had US 500 at the time, uh, which is the top 500 companies in the US. And yeah, that was pretty much where I started was I liked it because I thought, oh, it's global diversification. It's also diversification because it's a bunch of different companies rather than one. And at the time, that's where my knowledge level was at. I was feeling like, yeah, cool, this is totally within my comfort zone. It built this really, I guess, interest in investing because mm. I picked an amount that I was going to invest on a regular basis and I did that every week. And so I invested in those same things. I then got to see how they were going, whether they'd gone up or down. And it's been really interesting. Like I think of that as like conditioning, you know, because the markets do go up and down. And I think seeing it from 50 bucks to what it looks like going up and down with $50 invested to then as that amount grows, seeing that up and down amount, you get kind of used to this rhythm of the market and, and how it operates. And yeah, I think it's been a great experience so far. That's so interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that your first investment was you, one, starting a micro-investing platform and then that being one of the first ones that you picked. One of the offset questions I was going to ask you was, were you nervous about making that investment? But it sounds like you were pretty comfortable, especially going to it with a group of people. Yeah. And maybe that's a bit funny, isn't it? That <laughs> wanted to invest didn't know how to, yeah because that's really how it started let me just create a platform and then start yeah. away yeah love it yeah because I do I look at emails you know but kind of before I had the idea for sharesies it was like I did want to invest and I was emailing places and the email that I got back just kind of felt like I was just so small for like there was just like I just kind of wasted their time or you know that you know when you just feel like People don't want to hear from you right now. Like you're, you're on their to-do list and they'd rather not. And, and I, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. I obviously didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have an amount that that was interesting for them. And I really didn't know what I didn't know. And I was asking for someone to help me. And I think, you know, seeing that and then seeing the difference that that could make. You know, Kiwis do think of their biggest investment as property or that like that's the channel that we go down typically or had been. But it's... I don't know, you know, a lot of people I talk to now, it's not necessarily a given that you're going to own a property in your lifetime. And and then a lot of people, that's not even 
something they want to do because you'd have to save for so long to get the deposit and then it's just kind of throwing it up in the air like not everyone wants to own a home you know when you start to think of how do you create wealth generating opportunities that isn't home ownership you know other countries are far ahead of us on this Mm. and you know it is really typical in other countries to not own homes and and to have an investment portfolio And, and technology has grown so fast where it can actually be a better investing experience like regardless of you know, the barriers that have kept you out, it can actually be better. And that's the joy of technology. Yeah. So, I mean, by the time it came time to placing my investment on Sharesies, I'd kind of done lots of learning through having to kind of create the platform alongside the co-founding team. We were learning a lot about investing and, and how it all worked. And so by the time I, it came time to place it, I was, I was actually just pretty excited. <laughs> I think there was something really empowering about feeling like an investor. Then there was something pretty awesome to think, oh, well, this could be how other people invest too. And, you know, that's what's happened since then. I love that you guys saw like a gap in the... For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. Market and then you took it upon yourselves to, you know, fill that gap because I think that's so valuable. Like I think heaps of people just feel like they kind of need to deal with it in terms of getting templated replies and not feeling like that other person does want to help them. Would you mind taking us through, I guess, how did the idea of Sharesies come about from all of this? So the idea kind of came about, I had been working in technology, that's where I'd kind of built my career, and then started working in a bank. And I think I just completely underestimated. I thought I knew a bit about money. And I mean, I had an accounting degree. I I thought I really did know a lot about how that world worked. But once I started working in the bank, it was like, well, I really don't. I really don't know how this world works. And even from a personal finance perspective, it was like, well, I'm actually learning so much from my colleagues. And it probably felt like my eyes had been opened a bit and I found myself kind of questioning how we could share. Oh, how can we share this? How can we help grow this? Then, you know, at the time that wasn't, you know, I was trying to kind of make stuff happen there. But, you know, there is a lot to being in those environments and, and how you get the word out. You know, technology, it's, it is all about sharing and and because you're used to kind of democratizing there. But, you know, blogging and being really open wasn't kind of what was happening in the banking or finance sector at the time. So it was a bit of a culture shift. And then at the same time, the market, what was going on more broader was there was that lots of articles coming out about millennials not being able to buy houses because they spent all their money on smashed avocado on toast. And there was this bit of, oh, bit of a like this boomer millennial, oh, this and that. And it was just kind of 
pretty toxic. But I think the main thing I took away from that was it was feeling just really dire for people starting out today. Like it's not nice to kind of be full of potential starting out in your career or in your life and going, everything's stacked against me. But that's not a huge motivating (laughs) place to be. And so I just started thinking about what could be the good news story here. Like how would we change this and what options could be available? And then one night I was just at home with my partner and we were deciding to go out for dinner or not and knew it would cost about 50 bucks. And then I just thought, oh, imagine if I could invest this money, like this 50 bucks, just online in a really fun way and build my portfolio that way. And that was kind of the the genesis or this idea. And my partner, Ben, who's one of the co-founders as well, encouraged me to take that to idea and talk to people at work about it. And that's when I met Leighton. And Leighton and I had worked on a few projects at the bank together. But someone said, oh, you want to talk about investing? Leighton knows a bit about that. And so started, took Leighton out for a coffee and asked him to tell me about investing and what, and told him about the idea. And he had actually had an investing club with 13 of his friends and family that he started when he was 17. And they were just investing $50 a week. And they'd been doing that for kind of 10 years by the time we were having this conversation. And they started by investing in like a herd of cows, which is like quite a common rural investment. <laughs> um, then some residential property, then commercial property. And then they were kind of investing in businesses at this stage and how that had grown. And it was cool. It was awesome to see that $50 can really have make such a big difference and I think from that moment it was like okay let's keep talking about this and there's actually something here and then Brooke who's Leighton's wife they were you know trying to start a business together Ben and I who my partner we were trying to start a business together and then knew that it would be in technology so Leighton was friends with Martin they were in a brass band together and Richard and Martin had a development business together And we kind of just all got in a room and I shared this idea. There were other ideas that we talked about. And then we just decided, hey, no, this one's like really sticking out to us. We know it's going to be really challenging, but it all resonated with us really personally. And we thought, this is cool. And we think we could use our skills to really make an impact here. And from that moment, just decided we would be a business. Mm. We did six months of customer research so I'm from a research background and it's cool that you have a good idea but it's only a business if other people care about it and care about your solution so we did go out and do a bunch of research and found out that there was a real aspiration to be an investor that that meant you were savvy with your money and you know there were people wanted to be an investor but there was just a stigma about the types of people who invest like it was kind of like Wolf of Wall Street super rich people but and that there were barriers that were getting in the way and that was largely that um, people were priced out, jargoned out, and branded out. Mm. And so this idea of how do we build something that solves those, and that's really where we came, started building the, the product from there alongside our customers. I think the, the point for me that stuck out was, because it is really special when you are doing research where you get to talk to people about stuff they wouldn't normally talk about. And money is just one of those things that at the time we really weren't talking about. And when started talking to people it was like whoa this thing that is a part of all of our lives most people have a really negative relationship with it no matter how much you have and people would use words like guilt and shame and it was like whoa this has got to change like how can you know this thing is part of our lives and how do we turn this into being an empowering experience 
for everyone and that's really driven us and why we you know care so much about our user experience and put our investor really at the heart of their own portfolio make sure they've got the tools and the support they need to create the life that they want to lead i like how one of your mission statements is to make it so attainable for the everyday person as well because i think that was one of my biggest i guess blocks in starting my investing journey i just felt like it wasn't for me because no one was really talking to me it was all jargon filled and i agree in terms of people don't really talk about money and what they're doing It's kind of like sometimes I think, you know, maybe it's about being inclusive. And I think if someone walks into a room while you're watching a movie and is going to join you, you typically pause it, gives them the lowdown. And then so that way they you can continue watching the movie with the key points. It just felt like, a you know, the world was one that was you felt like you'd been dropped into this movie and you didn't really know. There was already lots of stuff that was happening, acronyms, jargon, this and that. And you're kind of just having to find it all out on your own and, and be just a bit confused. And in terms of your experiences being in the tech industry and now in the finance industry, did you face any challenges being a woman across both industries? Yeah, they are typically kind of male-dominated. And I, I do always find this question quite tricky because it's like you don't know any other way. Mm. But I do know that, you know, sometimes I carried a bit of insecurity or imposter syndrome in, into the rooms that I was in. And what was interesting about that is we can see how important different perspectives are to building different experiences that really attract and, and engage people and, and solve people's problems. And so I think you can think and have empathy and, and go, oh, yeah, put yourself in someone else's shoes. But mm. even when you do that, you're only really putting yourself in someone else's shoes for, with the context that you know, or like how you would imagine yourself in their shoes. Why it's so important to have diverse perspectives is because, you know, our customer bases and for all these businesses are broad. And, you know, when, when you think about that, the more diverse the people building the products and experiences are, the more those products and services will work for the people using them. So I guess the lesson that I would probably give back to my past self that was feeling a bit insecure in these male-dominated industries is like really seeing your diversity as a superpower or your diverse perspective as a superpower because that's really what it is. And I think people, you know, that is changing and I think businesses are really seeing and organisations are seeing the value of that and are encouraging those more diverse perspectives to come forward and and how we make it more inclusive workplaces so those voices can be heard. So that's something that's kind of, I don't have any specifics about like, you know, dumb times that I've been in, but, you know, there's probably a few of those, but I, you know, push them down. I don't really think about them. But yeah, I think there's a cool kind of lesson or, or something in there for me anyway that I took away. And how good is it that you're part of that change as well? So to finish off, I thought we would go through some fast, quick fire questions, if you don't mind. Yeah, cool. Love it. What would you say your favorite investing book is? Oh, what's my favorite investing book? Personal finance. Look, I don't know if I have a yeah, personal finance book. What do I, I don't know if I have a favorite book. I'm a bit of a, I listen to it like podcasts <laughs> so I think the most of my financial reading yeah I read the Sharesies blog heaps but that's a bit biased so we've got great readers on that yeah and mostly just read kind of news and and listen to podcasts what would you say your favorite podcast is bear in mind that you on one right now I yeah at this one obviously <laughs> I don't know <laughs> there's the she's on the money podcast which is Australian based but you know they talk about great financial services things there's also the Motley Fool podcast, which is a bit more about 
specific shares and I kind of just like the conversation that happens. I feel like I'm leveling up and learning a bit there. Mm-hmm. And Sharesies actually also does a daily financial news podcast now. And I love listening to that because it f- makes me feel really tapped into what's going on more broader. Like that's one thing I love about being an investor is how it makes me feel a bit more tapped into the world. Like when I read a headline, I start wondering, oh, I wonder what impact that will have on this and that. So it kind of brings out my curious investor mind. (laughs) Great podcast. I'm also a fan of the two that you mentioned. And of course, this one. What would you say the best investing advice you've ever received was? Oh, the best time to start investing was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Love it. And what would be your top tip for people just buying the bullet and getting started? Yeah, I'd say you don't need to know it all on day one. And I think, you know, really recognize that if it is the first time you're doing something, you know, manage your expectations, <laughs> you know, give yourself a break, but like get into it. I think, you know, once you start the learning that happens, once you give it a go is, yeah, is pretty awesome. Now, um, for some non-finance questions outside of finance, how do you invest in yourself? That's a cool question. I invest in myself through, I do make sure I make really good time to do things that give me lots of energy. Like I like to think of managing energy and a big part of that is like laughs and I really like having laughs. So um, I try and make sure that I do stuff that makes me laugh, that's really good for me and you know stuff that fills me with energy, catching up with people, things like that. And then I do a lot of reading. So I invest in knowledge a lot and try to just broaden my horizon. And that's us. Thank you so much, Sonia, for joining us today and for giving us more insight on your personal investing journeys and a bit of background on how the six of you founded Sharesies. Is there anything this year that you're most excited or looking forward to? Yeah, well, cool. Thanks, thanks for having me. This year, I'm really excited to keep growing Sharesies. I think there's heaps of opportunity Um you know, we've made it really easy to get started. And I think, you know, what I'd love to see is like us building more confident and motivated investors throughout their lifetime. Yeah, uh, We're going into Australia, which is really cool. And we'll bring, you know, a whole, whole heap of more kind of opportunities and learnings through that experience. So I think that's what's keeping me pretty excited. I also got a new puppy recently, so I'm excited to <laughs> train him and... <laughs> Have lots of, you know, great times with a little puppy. <laughs> Gosh, that's a lot of work. What breed? Our little French bulldog. Oh, no way. That's so cute. Wait, do you have yeah. him already? Yeah. What's his name? His name is Olaj because he's like a French bulldog and that is, that's like a role in French and it's a food, which is, you know, great. <laughs> like food-related names. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And that's such a unique name as well. I don't make another <laughs> a dog called Rue. Yeah, we can. Rue for short. Thank you so much to Sonia for coming on the podcast. I'm sure this isn't the last time that we hear from her. What a phenomenal woman, to say the least. And thank you for listening to this episode. And as always, finishing off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We're not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. All right, till next week team, bye.